Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. That song speaks of a hope that one day earth and heaven will be one, that the things that we want to see happen will happen. Jesus, when he teaches his disciples to pray and in his model prayer, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, and he gives three things. Hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come and your will be done, and then connects it all with on earth as it is in heaven. Things happen in heaven that are not happening on earth. The Lord's name is hallowed. The Lord's will is done. The Lord's kingdoms come. And we are longing to see that happen in our day. But we've not yet seen it happen. And uh, we who know scripture and who know how the story goes, uh, we, we have a sense that it's going to be there. But it's, it's like another realm, isn't it? C.S. Lewis uh, wrote uh, a bunch of of books along the way, and, and one of them is his, his Narnia Chronicles, and the first of which is called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in that, uh, uh, four children who are um, looking for adventure in this house that they are, are in refuge in from the, the bombing that's happening in England, they, they walk through this wardrobe and discover another world. And as they discover in this world, there is there is evil and there is good and there is a battle between it and, and it is a mirror of the things that are going on even in their own world. And one of the things for us is as we live in this world longing for how things ought to be, where do we find that? How do we get to that place? Because things are not great in this world. There is dissension and there is discord. Even while we have relatively good peace within our country, there is uh, a level of animosity that uh, is, is increasingly growing. Where do we get to the other side of this? Peter wrote his letter that we've been looking at to help the church get a bigger picture of what life and faith is, out, is about in a, in a world that's increasingly hostile. We know a little bit about that. They knew it in greatness. They who lived at the time of Nero as the emperor of Rome, who was beginning a persecution of the church, one that will extend throughout the empire, they in what we call modern Turkey, these letters he wrote, or these churches he wrote this letter to, they understood being outsiders and not having some of the, the privileges, even as Lila was talking, that, that worshiping Jesus was not something that was looked highly upon, was even persecuted. How do you navigate through this? Well, that's part of what Peter wants the churches to see. And one of the things that we've seen through this, as now we enter chapter 5, throughout this, uh, living faithfully has had its foundation upon, upon good theology. 
you know, and sometimes the word theology goes out there and our, and our, our eyes gloss over is like, okay, that's for guys in some setting with academics and, and knowing original languages and, and I'm not a theologian. Well, you are a theologian. If you have any thoughts about God at all, if you have any connection with him, if you look at the scriptures and think about them all, you're, you are a theologian. You think about who God is and, and its impact and impression on your life. And Peter wants them to see the way we think, the way we believe, it matters. And the foundation of this is Jesus. He's mentioned again and again the sacrifice that Jesus has gone through, the suffering that he endured on our behalf. And because of that, it can give us a picture and a perspective on life. We can hold on to a living hope No matter what's happening in these bodies of ours, these tents that we are living in temporarily, because there is more that is out there beyond us. But it still means we live in this world today. And we live faithfully for God. And so part of his instructions has been to help the people see this is how you do this. And so as we continue, as we come to the end of of the letter... We're coming to some final words on, on how to do this. And these, these words come to, to the elders and to the young men and, and then to everyone and how to do this. If you have your Bibles, if you open up to 1 Peter chapter 5, we'll take a look at this. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, Be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Well, as, as Peter comes to the end of this, he, he turns his attention on to the leaders and to the elders in, within the churches there, and, and he has some words on leadership. 
Leadership, uh, important thing. If you were to go to Amazon.com and put in the word leadership in their book section, you would get page after page after page. If you go to a bookstore like Barnes & Noble, which is a little hard to find these days, but they're still out there. You go to the leadership section, and there's all kinds of books out there. There's, there's, there's just so many people on, this is how you become a leader. This is how you do it. These are the principles you must, this is what a good leader does. This is how he lives his life, and, and so on and so on. There are many different theories and ideas of how to be a leader. When Peter talks about this and says to the elders as... And he's, he's doing it on the basis of his own being an elder and the fact that he's seen Christ and his suffering. He said, okay, I've been there. This is what I'm saying based upon what I've experienced. And remember, my experience has been as part of leading the church of Jesus Christ because I witnessed these things. I saw these things happen. This was part of my life and and. As the Gospels describe him, he was the impetuous one, the, the one who, who took strong stands and sometimes was lauded for that and sometimes rebuked quite harshly for it. He'd learned some up and downs. And as he talks and his, his idea for them in terms of what it means to be a leader is he uses this idea of, of shepherding. He says to be shepherds of the cross, which is interesting. Uh, uh, many are not real fond of shepherds. They seem like they're kind of low on the scale of, of people that are respectable. But this idea of shepherding is, is such a strong and prominent one throughout the scriptures. We think of different people who are, are mentioned prominently in scriptures Many of them were shepherds. Abraham had flocks that he had. Moses was out in the desert with flocks. King David was a shepherd at one point. He even writes of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. It comes again and again in Ezekiel when, when God is rebuking the leaders of the people of Israel because of their lack of being good leaders, he calls them shepherds. You shepherds, you failed to care for the flock. You instead went after your own things and took care of yourself. You did not treat them well. You treated them harshly. You didn't do the things that you were supposed to do as a shepherd. And so he continues on to say, I will shepherd my people. I will provide for them. I will rescue them. When Jesus talks about faith, as he talks about the kingdom of God, he brings this up. In Luke chapter 15, when he is describing the lost things, in Luke 15 we have the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And prior to that we have the story of the, the lost coin and prior to that, he begins with the, the parable of the lost sheep. There were 99 in the pen, but one was lost. And so the shepherd went out looking for the one. And in discovering and finding the one, there was so much rejoicing and a party. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like that. When one sheep is found, there is rejoicing by the angels in the heavens. 
Jesus, as John describes his teaching, talks about himself in, Luke, in John chapter 10, that he talks about the gates to get to the sheep and the sheep there, that they know who is their master. And Jesus says, I'm the shepherd of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, he continues on. And so again and again throughout Scripture, we have this picture of, of the sheep and the shepherd being this ideal for what it means to lead your people. And then we have that interesting passage at the end of John. Peter's writing this letter. And at the end of John, Peter has an interaction with Jesus. After Jesus had risen from the dead and uh, the, the, guy, the disciples had been fishing and they see someone on the beach and they go to him and they discover it's Jesus. And, and Jesus turns to Peter and says, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. And then a second time he says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. And then the third time asks him, do you love me? And, and while hurt at the three, third time being asked, he says, yes, I love you, Lord. Jesus says, feed my sheep. So for Peter, this idea of shepherding being a part of how leadership happens, it's pretty prominent for him. And as he goes on to describe that, he has three characteristics of how to do this. It's kind of a, a contrasting mix of it. The first one is, is as they serve as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. First off, not because you must, but because you're willing. That, that leadership within God's people is something you, you take on willingly. If you don't want to do it, well, don't do it. No one is holding the gun to your head saying, you have to do this. Other parts of Scripture describe that, that, that to, to, to desire to be an overseer or a leader is a good thing. It's something that is good to pursue. But if you don't want to do it, then don't. Be willing and eager to, to care for the flock. Tom Wright in his, his commentary on this section, he, 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 he draws a contrast or, or a comparison at least of, of what this looks like. Because again, sometimes when we, when we talk about leadership, we talk about how can I be the best leader that I can be? And so we'll look at all those books that we have had and, and read them and, and develop the disciplines in our life. And, 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 and he compares this concept to the, the idea of, well, of, of being happy. If, uh, if your sole goal and purpose is to be happy, well, then likely you're not. Because you'll be so focused on, one, yourself, and how, what, is this really making me happy, that you're never going to be happy. And that happiness is something that, that happens as we're in the midst and the process of doing things. And, and, and so it is with, with being a leader. Being the, a leader is more about who you're working and leading than it is about you becoming your best. And it's not to say that you don't develop your skills, but the focus and attention is on those that you're leading. 
And so it, with, with, with shepherding, the question is not how can I channel my inner shepherd and, and be the best that I can be, but, but instead ask, how can I best look after these sheep? And, and the best way of looking after these sheep is, is to know them and understand them and, and walk with them. Now, most of us have not raised sheep. Anybody raise sheep? Okay. Two does not qualify as most. <laughs> and, and it's something that's, that, that's dis, distant from us. Um, I, I recently uh, have read a book by Donna Briesmeister who wrote about her times in, in raising sheep. And, and, uh, and Donna, in her, in her kind of sing-songy, poetic kind of way, describes this. And, and she makes p- parallels and, on some level, parables on what raising sheep with being with people is like. And one of the things that she notes is, uh, we, we see this again in Scripture, that Jesus says this, that the, the sheep know their master. And, and she tells these stories about how the sheep knew who she was. Uh, over the years that she did it, they would, they would come to know her. When, she, when they heard her voice, they would understand her. And when, when other people would come, there would be this, this, this weariness. She discovered that first when she got her, her first flock of sheep. When she started working with them, they, they wanted nothing to do with her. But over time, they began to trust her. And, and as, as dumb as people say that sheep are, they began to trust her. Even doing things that seemed like logical reasoning. She had one ewe that was particularly good and productive. Every year would come up with, with good lambs and and uh, was a good mother for them. And, and so she could just depend upon that one just being okay. And, and uh, she knew she was about ready to give birth. And, and, uh, and uh, she was working, doing some, some chores. And, and, and one of the other ewes comes up and starts bleeding at her. It's like, well, that's weird. And she goes back to whatever that she was doing. And, and the, the, the ewe goes away for a while. And, and then it comes back and bleats at her again. Okay, hi. And uh, ignores it again. And the third time that it comes back and, and bleats at her, she says, okay, this is weird. And so she follows this you, and this you leads her to this best of her yous, who is in the process and struggling with giving a birth. And, and I think I'm recalling that eventually she lost these lambs because of the trouble. And, and, and Donna realized that lamb was communicating. She came to get the person that she trusted that they needed, and, and she wasn't listening for that and attentive to what needed to happen. And, and so remembers with, uh, with a little bit of lost, but certainly some knowledge now, if they come to get you, there's something there. Being a shepherd means knowing your people. If you're in leadership or if you aspire to leadership in, within the church, then, then it's not about you being, I've got this position. But it's, it's about understanding who are these people? What's been going on in their lives? And, and what do they need in, at this time in their lives? It's not a plug and play. Oh, I did this at other other church or there's this program at this other church and let's just bring it here because it works right in another place. And Well, 
that's not the same flock. What's going on in our midst? So for you who are in leadership, and obviously I need to look back once again at my mirror and look at myself and say, what are you doing about this? It's not about money, not that the pastorate's the most lucrative thing, but there are subtle ways that you can make that something that's, that distracts you and, and puts your focus on you. And certainly not lording it over those. But being examples. That we live before others as examples of what it means to follow Jesus. One of the pastors in my life, when I was a youth pastor in Milwaukee, Paul Briers, he was a great shepherd. And he taught me what it was to be a man of God in, in a number of ways. But he also taught me as a young man how to, how to be part of leading a ministry. And, and some of what he did was he gave me a long leash. Uh, the ideas and the thoughts and some of the experiences I had were, were good and, and good starting points. And, and he'd give me a long leash. And invariably, me being me, would, uh, would make some mistake or get myself in a little bit of trouble with people. And we'd work this out, and, and he'd help me through that. And sometimes I'd get my hackles all up, and I'd be like, oh, what, what are they saying now? And he's like, settle down. Take it easy. Here is the situation, and here's how we needed to work through it. If I would to get up out and storm out of there, he says, hey, get back here. Sit down. That's not how we do this with graciousness and care, kind of knowing who I am as we've gotten to knowing each other over the years, was able to talk me through that. And that's knowing your people, right? On the other side of that, as, as Peter gets on, he has words for the young men to be submissive to the older ones, which is not an easy thing for younger men to do, is it? I know it's not been for me, but... but Part of listening to those and, and, and having enough humility. I mean, he says this here because it needs to be said, right? Because it's not our natural inclination. Oftentimes, if we're younger and someone older says, that's not the right way to do it, it's like, okay, old person, whatever. It's uh, 2018 now. It's not 1922. Uh, sometimes we need to just stop and listen to those who have gone down this road before you. It's a little bit of what Peter is doing for the elders within the churches, but it's something that we need to stop and listen. And not that we don't use our energy and creativity and all that, and, and, but sometimes we need to stop and listen when someone says, hold on here. There's some other things you need to see because it isn't just about this one thing because there's impacts over here if you don't recognize that. doesn't say a lot to the young men. Just be submissive to those who are older. But there's much to be learned there. But then he directs his attention to everyone. To the sheep, to the shepherds, the young men, the elders. There's a way of living that makes this happen. And it starts off with humility. For us to live humbly. For it says God opposes the proud it says, clothe yourselves with humility. Put it on like a jacket or a sweater and wear it on you. And what does it mean to walk humbly? So 
Certainly Paul speaks about it greatly in Philippians chapter 2, how we live and look out for the interests of others, put them ahead of ourselves and and understand where they're at. And that goes along with what he's saying about being a shepherd. Know your people and and understand what it is that they knew. And it's not about you, it's about God, and it's about helping people to see him. And as you walk with your lives, you're walking through this. We walk through this together in this church as sinners together, right? Each of you are a sinner still. I am a sinner still. We are going to blow it, sometimes epically. We, we need to recognize that and, and be able to respond first off, okay, that hurt. <laughs> What's going on? You know, can I absorb that first blow and, and, and discover what's, what's going on that's put this person in that position? How are they hurting or how are they responding out of a pain in their life? Now, some people are just angry and, and, and bitter and, and, and sometimes you just need to separate yourselves from them if they're not going to be able to work through this. But oftentimes a starting place for all of us is to take ourselves and our emotions out of that because sometimes it's not about it, us at all. I think more happens that offends people that are done out of ignorance than out of malice. Uh, malice being, I, what is a way that I can hurt this person? Oh, I'll get him. That's malice. Ignorance is often just self-centeredness lived out in front of others and not thinking about how it affects someone else. The problem is, to the recipient, it feels the same. <laughs> but... It's different. And for us to be able to absorb blows and say, okay, what's going on here? First of all, this is kind of how I responded to that. And second, what's going on? Why are you there? Humility, it's, it's not easy. But if we're all about, well, I'm a leader in the church or I'm a person in the community that's regarded highly, how dare they? When we think highly of ourselves, we've probably got an issue. God says, start off living humbly. And then he says to take your anxieties to him because he cares for you. We're going to be anxious. The church that Peter was writing to here, they had reason to be anxious. There is serious jeopardy to their lives and existence because of the persecutions. We have brothers and sisters around the world again and again and again that are going through difficulties because they confess faith in Jesus Christ. And they're wondering, when is this going to end? We're talking beatings and being kicked out of their homes and villages, of being shot at and raped and killed. And this is the things that are being endured. And how, how do we get through this? They're anxious, anxiety-producing things, cast them to God because he cares for you. And then to be alert. To be alert and self-control, remembering we have an enemy. There's an enemy prowling around like a lion, seeking for those to devour. That's a good thing to remember because sometimes we think, Oh, it's just bad luck, or or that person. 
But sometimes we need to remember we have an adversary who seeks to devour us. His goal and desire is to, to hurt the Lord in heaven in any way he can. And if he can destroy as many people as possible by doing so, by distracting them or, or causing dissension and discord or whatever he can do, for him we are pawns in that process. And victories he can have in our lives to turn away from God or to walk back or to be angry with him, he's out there. And we need to be aware of that. That we face an, a substantial adversary that we cannot face on our loan, our, on our, by ourselves. But we have are empowered to be able to face because of what Jesus has done. Not only that, and as he finishes this section, God's going to be there. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. Peter knew what it was like to be restored, didn't he? He blew it. Again, epically blew it with Jesus. Denied him. And Jesus restores him immediately. Yes, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lamb, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. But he's restored immediately. There's no three-month waiting process. Well, let me observe you. He's forgiven and restored. He knew about this. And this God restores us. With a mindset of eternal glory, not the vain glory that happens in this earth, in this life. And that's how we can live humbly. And that's how we can live self-controlled and alert and casting our anxieties on him. Because we have our hope in this living hope that goes beyond. That's what we trust in. As you walk this day and walk this path in your life, you're going to have anxieties. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have conflicts. Probably going to go through suffering at some time. Peter in chapter 4 says, judgment's going to start with the people of God. We're going to have to face difficult things. Things that we can't imagine maybe even this culture at some point. And Peter's direction is stand firm, resist the evil one, stand fast through it all. Because the glory to be revealed. What is that going to look like? I don't know. But the call for the church over the centuries has been to walk through these things. Why we've not had anything close to that, I don't know. But it could come. And as Lila mentions, we have brothers and sisters enduring that today, this morning. And so we bring them and ourselves to our Lord. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning we come again uh, for your throne of grace. And, then, and, and, and again, we, we ask that you be with our brothers and sisters that are enduring these hard things. We ask that you be with our, 
those in Egypt who, uh, who are facing horrible, difficult things, to the church in Myanmar that is being kicked out of their homes, to those in Pakistan on the other side of this ruling against or for Asia Bibi who are persecuting the church in, in new ways. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service. Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you. Wherever we're at, whatever we're enduring and going through, may we keep our eyes fixed on you and the living hope you extend to us. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day.